0: Production support for Earth Eats comes from Blooming Foods Co-op Market, providing local residents with locally sourced food since 1976. Owned by over 12,000 residents in Monroe County and beyond. More at bloomingfoods.coop. And Elizabeth Rue, enrolled agent with Personal Financial Services, assisting businesses and individuals with tax preparation and planning for over 15 years. More at personalfinancialservices.net. From WFIU in Bloomington, Indiana, I'm Kate Young, and this is Earth Eats.
1: If you came and didn't have no money or didn't have enough money, he'd be like, don't worry about it. Go ahead. He fed everybody.
0: Coming up on the show, we remember Chef David McAtee, killed by authorities in Louisville, Kentucky, amid this week's violence surrounding protests of deadly policing in the black community. And as the number of infections and deaths from COVID-19 continues to rise, We give a second listen to a conversation with Amanda Nicky of Mother Hubbard's Cupboard about changes in their emergency food services. That's all just ahead. Stay with us. Let's go to Renee Reed for news. Hi, Renee.
2: Hi, Kate. I have just one report this week from Chad Bouchard. Meatpacking workers are facing some of the biggest workplace risks as the industry death toll continues to rise while facilities move back into production. Figures from the U.S. Department of Agriculture show that meat production is now only 6 percent lower than it was a year ago, bouncing back from a near standstill. But watchdogs, health advocates and unions say the infection risk to workers is still high and U.S. agencies are failing to protect workers. Late last month, a Tyson plant in Storm Lake, Iowa, shut down after 555 employees tested positive for the virus out of 2,500 total employees. Reports from the United Food and Commercial Workers Union and the Food and Environment Reporting Network, FERN, suggest the death toll from the virus for meatpacking employees is between 44 and 67, with thousands of workers infected with the virus. Fern also found that COVID-19 infection rates among rural counties with meatpacking plants had rates of infection five times that of rural counties without plants. Despite peak infection rates at plants, at the end of April, President Donald Trump ordered meat processing plants to resume operations, invoking the Defense Production Act to declare meat processors as essential to the nation's food supply chain. For EarthEats News, I'm Renee Reed.
0: Protests have erupted all across the country and beyond our shores this week, sparked by the killing of George Floyd at the hands of police in Minneapolis. In Louisville, Kentucky, demonstrators are also drawing attention to the killing of Breonna Taylor, the EMT who was shot in her home after police entered in the middle of the night with a no-knock order. The protests in Louisville were far from the corner of 26th and West Broadway, but after curfew last Sunday night, police and National Guard moved in on a crowd gathered at Dino's and Yaya's barbecue stand. After a shot was fired, authorities returned fire, striking and killing David McAtee, the owner of the barbecue stand. McAtee, known to his friends as Yaya, ran the barbecue stand out of the back of a small cinder block building at the edge of a short parking lot across the street from a busy convenience store called Dino's. On Tuesday, I spoke with a few people who knew him as the community was beginning to gather for a vigil and a remembrance at the site of his barbecue stand, where he spent his last moments. The aroma of charred hamburgers and bratwurst drifted through the early evening air from oil drum-style barbecue grills near a blue pop-up tent. Marcia Lawhorn had on a t-shirt with a full-color photograph of David McAtee in a chef's jacket, pouring sauce over a pan of cooked meat they were friends.
3: Me and him, he had a, um, the barbecue business and I sell t-shirts. So he would allow me to come and set up where he was at all the time and sell my t-shirts. And he did look out for everybody on the food. If you was short and didn't have all the money, he'll let you, you know, get your food for free. He used to feed all the officers. He was passionate about what he did. He was a very respectable, loved, kind gentleman. Give you the shirt off his back. And he, he, Everybody knows him because everybody probably ate at least once from him, you know, and then it was the two clubs right here So after the clubs he'll be you know set up and you can always come here late night and get something to eat and stuff like that He had the music going had a nice tin and he had chairs. He had everything. He made it real comfortable outside for everybody Yeah.
0: Sad. What kind of food did he make? Barbecue,
3: uh, ribs, hot dogs, sausages. He had side orders, chips. He had everything. Like what kind of side orders? Uh, potato salad, baked beans, <laughs> uh, corn. He had some real long Polish sausages, and everything was good. He did a really good job. He was really good at what he did. Passionate, I keep saying passionate about what he did.
0: Marcia's t-shirt was one that she made with McAtee's photo and his name.
3: Just to remember him, another black man shot, unfortunately,
4: yeah.
0: Next, I spoke with Victor Tellis. So did you come down here and eat sometimes?
4: Oh yeah, oh yeah, I always came down here. You know, he would even give me free brockwurst. you know, because he know that's what I liked. And when he saw me, he said, here, you know, here, Vic, you know, so yeah, I came down here, ate a lot, yeah especially when I was out and about because the club right here at Double Deuce, that's where I used to come sometime. Now I don't because I have refrained from that. I'm a Christian man now. I try to be a Christian man anyway the best I can. But, yeah, when I hung out, yeah, this was one of my spots. And he made you feel at home, you know. He welcomed you, you know. So did a lot of good things in the community too. Yeah, he's a very good man. He fed the community. Uh, he's going to be missed by many. You know, he was, uh, he was like part of the family. My sister was very close to him. They were kind of, almost got married. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, he's going to be much, very much missed. But he will not be forgotten. The body's absent, but the spirit's alive. So, yeah.
0: When Victor's sister approached, she agreed to speak with me.
1: My name's Lanel Blakemore. This is the first time I've been down here since it happened. So I was close to David. I called him Yah. Everybody calls him Yaya. I just Yaa-Yaa. said Yah. <laughs> fed everybody. If you came and didn't have no money or didn't have enough money, he'd be like, "Don't worry about it. Go ahead." He fed everybody, and his food was just great. He was famous for his Yaya burgers.
0: Oh, yeah. You know,
1: all night long, Yaya burgers. If he didn't have any burgers, guys was, like, not happy.
0: (laughs) What other kind of stuff did he have?
1: He had, like, polo sausage. He would do ribs. He would do rib tips. It just depends on how he felt and what he wanted to add to it. Some days he would have sides. Like, he he can cook. Oh, my God, he cooked good macaroni and cheese and green beans. Oh, my goodness. He always made it good. He always made it good. I got hooked on his food and didn't want no other barbecue in the city. Like I went without barbecue for the whole COVID-19 shutdown. That's like I missed my yaya ribs and stuff. And when everything was shut down, he wasn't. I don't think he was doing as much. Right before the COVID shutdown, he had lost his sister, so he was not really feeling that he was still grieving, you know. And it was a deep grievance because he he loves his family. He just. So, but then after that he got his got his little mojo back and got back to cooking and got back to, you know, being himself. We had a ball down here for Memorial Day. He has the music going, he's out there cooking, the girls are going, they're smoking, it's drawing people in. And he likes to do pretty much, he likes to do everything himself. He'll take the orders. You can give him five orders at a time and he would not forget not one of them. Yeah, he was a workaholic. Yeah, he was. He was (laughs) was definitely a workaholic because he was dedicated to it. You know, and he was determined to make his business work. He was determined to keep his, make his business grow. Yeah. It feels weird being down here, knowing he's not going to be here anymore. <laughs> feels, uh.
0: I asked Linnell if she was there the night that McAtee was killed.
1: You know, I wasn't. He called me that day, that afternoon. And he was like, I saw so much food the night before and I ran out. He's like, I'm going to the store before the store shut down because we got this curfew. He's like, are you coming down? I'm like, no, I don't think I'm coming down tonight, y'all. I think I'm going to stay home. I said, because I got to work the next morning, so I think I'm going to just stay home. He was like, okay. He said, well, let me get to the store. I said, okay, babe, be careful. You know, he was like, you know it. He always called me Honey Bunny. <laughs> he said, okay, Honey Bunny, I'll talk to you later.
0: I asked Lanelle, how she was feeling about the protests.
1: This right here, it's like we're living in a movie nightmare. Just all the things that are going on in all the cities, and it's pretty scary, it's pretty scary. I just feel that our leaders need to step up and do the right thing so the people don't feel like they have the need to get out here and have to protest for rights, you know, for action.
0: The honking you hear in the background is all of the cars going by paying tribute to the memory of David McAtee of Yaya's Barbecue. You can hear a more in-depth story on Chef David McAtee and the events surrounding his death in a piece that aired Wednesday night on All Things Considered with Ari Shapiro. We have a link on our website, eartheats.org. Production support comes from Bill Brown at Griffey Creek Studio, architectural design and consulting for residential, commercial and community projects. Sustainable, energy positive and resilient design for a rapidly changing world. Bill at GriffeyCreek.studio. Insurance agent, Dan Williamson of Bill Rush Insurance, offering comprehensive home, auto, business and life coverage in affiliation with Pekin Insurance. Beyond the Expected. More at billreshinsurance.com And Blooming Foods Co-op Market, providing local residents with locally sourced food since 1976. Owned by over 12,000 residents in Monroe County and beyond. More at BloomingFoods.coop. While much of the nation's attention is focused on protests against racialized police brutality, the COVID-19 pandemic is far from over. States have started opening up in stages, including Indiana, while the infections and deaths from the coronavirus continue to climb. It's been widely reported that communities of color and low-income communities are disproportionately affected by COVID-19. Back in March, I spoke with Amanda Nicky of Mother Hubbard's Cupboard about changes they made in their model for providing food assistance for those in our community who struggle to get food on the table in the best of times, and even more so during a pandemic, which has led to unprecedented unemployment numbers. I decided to share our conversation again this week as a reminder that the struggles related to the pandemic continue and that very little has changed at Mother Hubbard since this piece aired in late March. Here is Amanda Nicky, president and CEO of Mother Hubbard's Cupboard, known locally as The Hub.
5: We offer a food pantry that operates kind of like a grocery store we try to offer as much fresh food as possible people can just walk through the pantry and pick the items that they want and then we also offer education programming so we have cooking and gardening programming a tool share that is a lending library of cooking and gardening tools we have kids programming kids cook and kids gardening workshops and then we also do advocacy around local, state, and national issues affecting hunger and poverty. Do
0: you consider the work that you do at Mother Hubbard's to be an essential service?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think um, simply because folks rely on us week to week just to make it, we have become an essential service. I I think one of the things that's like slowly hit me over the last week, is how unprepared most people are for a crisis like this. It's not like responding to a natural disaster where the harm or the risk has happened or, you know, the the disaster has happened and now you're going into a community and trying to meet the food needs. Um, You know, food banks have lots of experience with that kind of thing, but when I think about, you know, what we're all going through right now, like we're all at risk all the time. And that's something that I'm trying to wrap my brain around. Um, how do we as emergency food providers respond to the everyday need, the crisis need, and the real risk to ourselves um, and to others that we're interacting with? And that's something that i it's just... I know that everyone is saying this, it's unprecedented, um, but it is, and that's the thing that I don't, I don't really know, I don't really know what to do, and I, you know, right now, today, we are in essential service, unless someone else, or, you know, someone from the government, or the military, or something steps in, um, and takes control over this, then you know we we are in a, we are in essential service.
0: What do you think that this crisis tells us or can tell us about how we deal with hunger in the U.S.?
5: I mean, I I think mostly that it's highlighting how much of our everyday lives, food banks and food pantries and soup kitchens have become that you know, when someone needs food, then these are the ways that they should go about getting it um, instead of really trying to address those root causes and that it's an inadequate response and that it's, you know, the the people who rely on our services and, you know, people all over the country who rely on similar services just to make it through the week that these are the people that are going to be at a higher risk of contracting the virus and getting seriously ill because they have to be out there. They have to, you know, get food wherever they can during the week um, from as many resources as are available to them. They don't have the option of going to the store and buying several weeks' worth of food or ordering things online and having it delivered to their home. I just, I think that it's it's highlighting all of the different ways that we actually have a different food system for people who are experiencing poverty.
0: Do you think that it's the responsibility of charities like a food pantry to meet this need?
5: I think that's I think that's a difficult question because I think that the community as a whole feels that it's our role to meet the need during this crisis, right? But I I have to feel a little bit like, at least for me, I don't feel fully equipped to deal with this crisis and to do the work that we are supposed to do. We're really good at running the organization that we have, um, but this is something we've never, ever had to experience. And I think that, you know, we're being careful and we're taking precautions. And I know that all the other organizations in our community are doing the same thing. And we're all doing the best that we can with what we have. But it feels... I don't know. It feels a little bit lonely. It feels a little bit like we're just making it up as we go. <laughs> um, and hoping that we're doing the right thing. So, I mean... it Is it a responsibility? Is it an obligation? Is it our role? I think those are all a little bit different things. I know that all of, you know, I'm speaking for the hub, but probably other organizations in town too. Like we do feel like if we don't do this, who's going to, but we feel like that every day anyway, because that's just the reality of the work that we do, that if we don't provide food for people who need it in our community, Who else is going to do that? Wages aren't going up, housing isn't getting cheaper. The people who have power to change the conditions in our community aren't doing that. And so we have to be here every day doing the things that we do. And now in this crisis that at least I don't feel fully equipped to handle, we have to keep doing that. And we have to do more and we have to take take on more of a risk, uh, more of a risk than we've ever had to do before.
0: The first change they made was to cancel all programming except for food distribution.
5: We stopped all of our non-essential programming, so workshops and all of our cooking demos, all of our kids' programming. We suspended the tool share, rentals. Quickly,
0: they switched to a pickup system outside on the patio and asked people to approach one at a time.
5: And we set up some cone barriers that just said stop here, one household at a time and asked people to just walk up, tell us if they wanted, you know, what kind of meat they wanted. There were some options that people could choose from. We prep the box. We take it to a table that's six feet from the cones. When we walk away, after dropping the box down, then we would tell folks they could come up and pick up their box.
0: On Monday, March 16th, they made the difficult decision to prohibit volunteers on site.
5: We have, you know, anywhere between four and five hundred volunteers on an annual basis and dozens each day on different shifts. And it's just too many people to try to catch up to speed every day. And we wanted to make our best effort to close our circle and limit the number of people that we're in close contact with. And it just seemed like the best thing to do is to minimize who was gonna be in the building and who was gonna be packing the boxes and who was gonna be in close quarters together. Um, so we narrowed it down to just staff. And it feels terrible. And I know that, you know, this is the kind of situation that people wanna do. You know, they want to ma- they wanna take some kind of action. And I know it's so hard for so many people to know that the best action they can do is to stay at home. It was heartbreaking to have to tell so many of our regular volunteers last week that we love you and we wish you could be here, but you can't. Um, the best thing you can do for us is to stay home and to support us from afar. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. And and you normally have a spring fundraiser, like, like a gathering?
5: Yeah, and at this time of the year, I would be panicking and having anxiety about a different issue and it would be our harvest team breakfast. Um, this year it was to be held on April 2nd. Um, it's the largest fundraiser that we have of the year, and it raises over $100,000 for our programs. These are the donations that allow us to do the food pantry, but also like our other really innovative programming, our education programming, our tool share, Um, the advocacy work that we do and so the loss of that fundraiser is pretty devastating for us. It's the kind of event where people make a multi-year pledge so they're giving us a gift this year but they're also pledging a donation for five years out so this is going to have a ripple effect for the next five years for us. I do want to talk about the community response. We've seen an amazing outpouring of support, either financially or with resources. We desperately needed boxes last week and we were getting box deliveries all day, every day um, from folks in the community. Um, We've had a lot of financial donations that are really, really helpful right now. Other businesses in town who have dropped off supplies for us, gloves or boxes, food beer, (laughs) those kinds of things, Um, just to help us kind of get through each day has been really, uh, it's been really moving for me. Sometimes this work can seem really lonely and sometimes it feels like people in, in the community don't really understand how serious the situation is every day and so for people to come out and show us this kind of support right now, it means a lot. Um, even just the email messages or the voicemail messages that we're getting from folks that are saying thank you," or the posts on Facebook that are just saying, "Thank you for being there or thank you for doing this," or, you know, keep keep at it. You're doing a great job. It's helping us. It's helping us get through each day.
0: So they were down to six staff members, focused on a new system of packing up food boxes and handing them out in the parking lot. I stopped by on Friday. And keeping my distance, I observed their system for the last two hours of the day. The staff arranged stools and rope in the parking lot with signage, directing people to the tent. The lot could hold about six cars at once. It was full for the entire two hours with cars backed up down the street. A few folks without cars walked up and stepped into the line. Each household could take the number of boxes they needed and had a choice between fish and chicken and an option for a gallon of milk.
5: It's an incredibly different model than what we're used to.
0: Full disclosure, I worked at The Hub for seven years. Central to the organization's mission is serving people with dignity, offering choice, and building relationships. Handing someone a prepackaged box, wearing a face mask and gloves, and keeping a six-foot distance goes against everything The Hub stands for. Amanda, Sarah, Liz, Kristen, Hannah, and Alyssa managed to keep their spirits up, cracking jokes and cranking the music from the warehouse. At one point, when a patron had trouble hearing the meat choices, Amanda resorted to gesturing. Fish? Moving her hand like a wave. Then, chicken? With thumbs in her armpits, she flapped her arms like chicken wings. What meat, fish or
5: chicken? (laughs) It was
0: impossible not to laugh out loud, or at least crack a smile. Okay,
5: there you go. Thanks. Thanks, guys, for everything. Yeah, thanks for your
1: work. Hey,
0: and I observed another gesture from Amanda. After the boxes for a household were gathered on the table and ready for pickup, Amanda would let them know, saying, Here you go. Thanks. And she'd give the sides of the boxes several affectionate pats with her gloved hands before walking back to her station to maintain that six-foot distance. I read those pats as her intention to connect. Almost a virtual hug. A way to say, I can't be close to you, but I care about you. There wasn't a lot of room for such tenderness in these interactions. For the sake of clarity, it was mostly reduced to instructions and requests, often yelled across the distance and over the hum of idling cars. But Amanda found a way. Do
5: you need one or two boxes? to yeah. Come over here. Fish or chicken? Fish or chicken? Chicken. Do you want milk?
0: A few things have changed at the Hub since this conversation. Everyone is now required to wear a face mask on site. With the continued absence of volunteers, they hired three former interns as temporary staff to assist with the labor-intensive food distribution model. Though the education programming remains on hold, they distributed a few hundred home gardening kits. They're offering virtual coffee talks, and they're experimenting with virtual cooking classes on Zoom. Amanda estimates they are serving about 200 households each day. The drive-up box pickup system continues. They're waiting for the virus caseloads to decrease for a sustained amount of time before they begin bringing people back indoors. And even then, they imagine a scaled-down version of usual operations. For more updates from Amanda Nicky about Mother Hubbard's cupboard, go to our website, eartheats.org. You want one or two boxes? Fish or chicken? Milk? Chicken.
5: One box of chicken. Yeah.
0: That's it for our show. Thanks for
2: listening. Stay nourished. Stay safe. The Earth Eats team includes Ayoban Binder, Chad Bouchard, Mark Chilla, Abraham Hill, Taylor Killo. Josephine McRobbie, the IU Food Institute, Harvest Public Media, and me, Renee Reed. Our theme music is composed by Aaron Toby and performed by Aaron and Matt Toby. Our is produced and edited by Kate Young, and our executive producer is John Bailey.
0: Special thanks this week to Marcia Lahorn, Victor Tellis, Linell Blakemore, Amanda Nicky, and everyone at the Hub. Production support comes from Elizabeth Rue. Enrolled agent providing customized financial services for individuals, businesses, and disabled adults, including tax planning, bill paying, and estate services. More at personalfinancialservices.net. Bill Brown at Griffey Creek Studio. Architectural design and consulting for residential, commercial, and community projects. Sustainable, energy positive, and resilient design for a rapidly changing world. Bill at griffeycreek.studio and insurance agent Dan Williamson of Bill Rush Insurance, offering comprehensive home, auto, business, and life coverage in affiliation with Pekin Insurance. Beyond the expected. More at BillRushInsurance.com.